West Texas is not known for its scenic beauty. When I moved to Midland, Texas after graduating from college, the landscape got flatter and flatter the farther east I traveled. It was a sea of brown with specks of green here and there. The wind always seemed to be blowing with no mountains or hills to block the breeze. Sometimes the gusts were a bit stronger since this portion of the United States is known as Tornado Alley. Lawrence Skuvenick had a similar experience to mine when he traveled to Lubbock to interview for a job in Texas Tech University's mathematics department. So I flew into Lubbock in February, 1982. It was delayed because of snow. And the chairman of the math department when I arrived after midnight was waiting for me. And I went out to the parking lot. He had a 1957 Chevy. They're all too young and had the little fins, wide white walls. And I thought, where am I? We drove on campus. Indiana has a beautiful wooded campus. And he was so proud of this campus. And these Siberian elms just like giant weeds. And I thought, my God, this is an ugly place. The next day, we went to a famous barbecue place called Stubbs on Broadway. There's a statue now where that Stubbs was. And it's a, I walk into the place, and it goes, there will be no bad talk or loud talk in this place. The restroom, I'm sure, had never passed an inspection. And uh, with, within two days, I knew this was a special place. I still didn't think I would come here, but I thought the people were incredible. Skubinik is now the university's president. It's really strange to wake up one day and realize you've been here for 40 years. Um, I live across the street. My wife teaches here. This is our life. And it's the lives of several other difference makers. Welcome to BYU Radio's Big Stories, a show dedicated to the incredible tales surrounding the opponents of the BYU Cougars. I'm your host, Cleon Wall. Lubbock, Texas may not be to everyone's liking when it comes to scenery, but there is a different feel when it comes to the people. I think a lot of people are true to what they believe in here and true to their roots. What defines Lubbock is simple, just West Texas tough. Texas Tech and the community of Lubbock have been just tremendous. Each person featured in this episode is a transplant to West Texas, but each has taken on the trait of being West Texas tough and showing West Texas love. The wind was blowing this spring morning as a Red Raider tennis player practiced on court three at Texas Tech's tennis complex. This is a special court. It really doesn't look different from the other courts, but it has a name. Two signs declare it's Luke Siegel Court. It wasn't until this spring that I was comfortable enough to come to the courts. This is Luke's dad, Tim. This was my facility, and I still picture Luke in that umpire's chair on court one and knowing across the street is the hospital where Luke spent 44 days. Tim Siegel knows a little about tennis. The New York native played collegiately at Arkansas, then professionally, and eventually got into coaching. I began my college career coaching at SMU in 1991-92 for two years and then became the head tennis coach, men's tennis coach here at Texas Tech in January of 1993, where I stayed for 23 years. After leaving Tech, Tim coached teens in middle school and high school. He left the Red Raider program to spend more time with his family, including his four kids. Luke was the youngest and his only boy. People would joke around and say, well, I bet your son won't even love sports because I'm a sports fanatic. Well, Luke was absolutely everything I could ever imagine. He was just sweet and caring and would do anything for anyone else. 
But in between the lines, baseball or flag football, he was a competitor. And he loved sports so much. The New Orleans Saints, when they would lose a heartbreaking game to the Falcons in the last second, he would tear up. Luke was such a special little boy. He was different than most seven, eight, nine-year-olds. Um, he, was, he had a bit of an old soul about him, um, but he loved being with his dad. And that's something I'll never forget. Tim and Luke were living an idyllic life until July 28th, 2015. He was uh, at a friend's house and um, they owned a golf cart. Um, I didn't know they owned it, but um, the golf cart landed on top of Luke's chest. I got a phone call from the father um, and he told me that Luke was in, a, was in an accident and I, at the time, didn't think it was that bad by the way he made it sound. Um, when I got to the scene of the accident, the ambulance was just leaving and the helicopter was hovering above and I knew it was, it was very serious. But I just kept thinking to myself, Luke's gonna be fine because he was my boy, my hero, he's gonna be fine. About two minutes in to um, the hospital, we were, my wife and I were taken into a room and that's when uh, a gentleman said to us that Luke was in cardiac arrest. And uh, at that point, everything changed. And about, I don't know how many minutes later, I woke up with a mask, an oxygen mask. Um, I don't remember much. Um, everything kind of went south for me. And so I just remember a nurse telling me I need to be strong for my son. The prognosis looked grim. Doctors told Tim that Luke would never speak, open his eyes, or use his limbs again. The young boy was eventually transferred to Cook Children's Medical Center in Fort Worth, where he would spend the rest of the year. Eventually, when we came back, January 6th of 2016, five months later, I was Luke's primary caregiver. I spent 24 hours a day with Luke, um, and, and I learned you know, how to change a trach when we were in the hospital. I then learned med meds and feeds. I went to every therapy session with Luke. I guess you could say that I was the coach still. I was Luke's father, but I was Luke's coach. I coached him up to do things that we were told he would never do. Luke was nonverbal, but Tim wanted to see if he could communicate with his son. I said to Luke, move your tongue if you th think the Saints are going to beat Denver today. He began to move his tongue. I could have lifted a car. I was so ecstatic because he understood me. It started with, Luke, move your tongue. It then became, Luke, can I hear your voice? He would open his mouth, and then occasionally sounds would come out. Can I hear your voice? I know you're trying. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, and I'll never forget when I said, Luke, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then he, oh, oh, the same amount of time that it would be to say, I love you back. Luke and Tim's days were mainly filled with therapy appointments. At night, it was all about sports. I was sort of the play-by-play -play person with Luke telling him about what was going on in the world of football, basketball, baseball. And, and from that point on, uh, you know, we, we, beca we became one in a way. It was almost a spiritual relationship with Luke. Tim knew he couldn't go back to coaching since he was Luke's primary caregiver, but he was looking for work. I had a friend of mine suggest, why don't you start a nonprofit? And I didn't know the first thing about it, but in January of 2017, 
uh, I began the Team Luke Foundation. I had a board, I had a vision, but not much else. And in May or June, June of, of 2017, I received a phone call from a woman named Rhonda Johnson who had a nonprofit called Hope for Minds. And that nonprofit was in Austin and she was there um, helping a friend whose son had a non-fatal drowning. And so we got together in Austin the very next day and we realized after about an hour, let's merge. So Team Luke Hope for Minds was formed in January of 2018. The foundation's goal was to help the families of children who suffered traumatic brain injuries. We help families in, in various ways from uh, financial support through education. What's it like when you meet with these families for the first time? I tell parents, listen, Luke did this and Luke did that and Luke improved here. It gives families hope because no one's brain injury is worse than my son's. And, and what, what I also tell parents initially is that neurologists and neurosurgeons, as good as they are, they don't know what the brain can do because when they leave the hospital, we're on our own. And so we, we, we have a, a blueprint, you know, we have a 80 page manual, sort of A to Z, what, what to expect and, and what to do um, because there was nothing for my son when we left the hospital in Fort Worth, good luck. And so for me, I learned a lot. I also learned that doctors, although I respect what they, what prognosis they may give you, they don't know what the father and mother can do. They don't know the son, how hard the child's gonna fight. Tim and Luke had a good relationship with the football team and its coaches, attending practices when possible. But after the accident, Tim stayed away. Eventually, Cliff Kingsbury, who was coaching then at the time, asked me to come to practice. And Patrick Mahomes spent time with Luke. And, and since then, Patrick and I have kept in touch. And I'll never forget when he said, Tim, I need the Team Luke Hope for Minds bracelets because I want to wear it on my right wrist every day. And if you see Patrick, State Farm commercials, head and shoulder, he's on a million commercials. That bracelet does not come off. And it, it means so much to me when he's holding up the Super Bowl trophy and you can see plain as day, Team Luke Hope for Minds. Tim and Luke also received love and support from other athletes. Drew Brees came to Lubbock to do an event and he came to our house. And I know Luke knew that Drew Brees was with him. And that was one special day for sure. After six years, I knew that Luke was gonna change the world, that Luke was gonna speak and that Luke was gonna do things that we were told he would never do. And so there's no way he's gonna get COVID. In middle of August of 21, he got COVID. We took Luke to the hospital and we were in a room, not even ICU. And then that night I stayed in, at home and I got a knock on my bedroom door at four in the morning. You need to get to the hospital, Luke's in ICU. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. I was driving to the hospital and I was at a red light and I heard a voice and that voice was, you're gonna be okay, but Luke's not gonna make it. And as I got to, as I walked into the ICU, the first person that greeted me was the doctor. And she said, I don't know if your son's gonna make it. And I said, I know. Luke died on August 21st, 2021. Grief is, it's hard to describe the feelings that I have, uh, whether I'm going to the gravesite, whether I'm with my daughters, uh, whether I'm watching a ball game, it just hits me like a, the waves just come crashing. 
um, but I know that I've got a greater cause and, and I've got to continue to push forward for Luke because I'm doing this for Luke and Luke is speaking through me. So I, I, I have bad moments, bad days, bad weeks, but I know that I'm gonna keep going because of Luke. The Texas Tech athletics community has made sure they don't forget Luke and what he's meant to them. Luke loved to play baseball, so he's honored at the Red Raiders baseball park, Rip Griffin Stadium. You go onto the large amount of stands, but off to the right of those stands is a field. You might even call it a field of dreams. It's dirt in one area and grass in the other area. It's almost like kind of a mini baseball diamond. And in the outfield, there's a sign, and it says the Luke Siegel Sandlot. Luke's favorite number was three. Coach McGuire, the football coach, does not give out the number three anymore. Um, whoever is the hardest worker, the biggest fighter, um, the toughest competitor, the entire team votes on who that person is, and they are awarded number three. Red Raiders linebacker Bryce Ramirez was given the privilege to wear number three after coming back from a serious leg injury the year before. And then there is Luke Siegel Court at the tennis complex. Tim finally made it back to court three in 2023. The very last thing Luke and I ever did, uh, we played tennis. And Luke said, Dad, since you're now the middle school coach, I want to play for you. And so being on a tennis court is even, is even difficult. Was it hard coming today to even do the interview with me? A year ago, it would have been harder. I wouldn't have suggested it probably. But as I said, I think it's special because I do look at court three and I see Luke's name on there and, and it makes me feel proud. And so I feel like this is the right place to do an interview. I've even had people tell me who've played on court three that they were inspired and they were motivated more than they ever were. And they were down in the match, but they came back because when they saw the sign, they knew they had to keep fighting because Luke was such a fighter. Coming up next... We can say football is just a game. And, but I think, it, I think it's a perfect setting for learning about life because what these guys do is hard. A chaplain tries to leave an imprint on the Red Raiders football team. Welcome back to BYU Radio's Big Stories. I'm Cleon Wall. Football is sometimes considered a religion in the great state of Texas, and there are plenty of cathedrals to the game. In fact, Texas Tech's Jones AT&T Stadium was getting a bit of a facelift in the summer of 2023. There are also plenty of real churches in the area, including the First Baptist Church of Lubbock. The building itself is pretty amazing. The chapel is expansive and includes a balcony. The stained glass is beautiful when the sunlight streams in. Pastor Bobby Dagnall's workplace is beautiful, but he also has a part-time gig. I go three blocks down the road to Texas Tech and I'm the football chaplain. Chaplaincy should be a, should be a meaningful resource for the life, for the enrichment of the life of, of, of our student athletes. Pastor Bobby's kind of the heartbeat of the team. This is Tech quarterback, Tyler Shuck. He prays us out before every time we go out there and he closes us out with a prayer um, by him as well. I've never really been of a part of a team that kind of kind of has that. I think he does a really good job of, of being there for guys when they need it, um, but not overstepping too much when, and understanding people's situations. Pastor Bobby, he's amazing. <laughs> um, I've learned so much from him. Red Raider defensive lineman, Tony Bradford. I've literally seen him push his 
personal stuff aside to come and assist with uh, one of our one of our student athletes here. And you know, it's it's just a it's a big blessing to have somebody like that available who understands what you may be going through because he was a student athlete and who also who also understands the words. That's right. Pastor Bobby used to be baseball Bobby. He was a college baseball player at the University of Oklahoma and had no clue what to do with his life. I was a very one-dimensional person. Uh, had a tremendous gift to throw a baseball. And that gift took me to a place where the absence of other gifts could not keep me. Uh, I had some academic difficulties, some other difficulties that when I was off at the University of Oklahoma and was actually kicked out of school and suspended for a semester and uh, came home and uh, went to work in a, in a a pipe shop of an engineering firm as a welder's helper. And uh, I had uh, the co-worker uh, was an older guy. He was probably in his mid-50s. And one day, just out of the blue, he asked me if I was a, um, if I was a believer. Strangely, I was kind of overwhelmed with guilt. And, uh, and so I lied to the guy. You know, I actually lied about being a Christian. And I, what I'll never forget is the look on that guy's face. There was just this overwhelming sense of relief in his eye that I was a believer. And he said, well, that's good to know. He said, I've just been praying for you. He said, I, I, I've sensed that you're a young man who is restless. He said, I'm 50 something years old. He said, I became a Christian about six months ago. And he said it was life changing for me. Bobby couldn't think about anything else the rest of the day. He knew he wanted what that guy had. But Bobby had not grown up going to church, so he didn't know what to do next. He contacted a friend's father, who also happened to be a pastor. I actually uh, played basketball at Baylor University. And so he, he had an athletic background. He knew my language. He knew what buttons to push. And uh, he explained to me what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And... Uh, and I decided that's what I want to be. I want to be a Christ follower. Bobby eventually found his calling as a minister. His secondary calling as a team chaplain came as a direct result of his preaching in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. A few coaches for the Alabama Crimson Tide attended Bobby's church. And so these guys started saying, hey, why don't you come to practice? Why don't you come out to practice? Just hang around. And, uh, and then those guys started putting me in front of groups. Uh, with the athletes, and it just kind of evolved. Same thing happened here. It was like, well, why don't you, why don't you start doing chapel? Now why don't you start traveling with us? And um, by the time Cliff was here, Coach Kingsbury, it was like, hey, we want you to be involved with our leadership training. Pastor Bobby's team training stays away from preaching since Texas Tech is a public institution. Some chaplains have crossed the line and it's gotten them in trouble and given other team chaplains a bad name but Bobby's secular teachings can still put players on the straight and narrow path. I've kind of developed a curriculum through the years that I call COMPETE. And uh, COMPETE stands for Competitive Edge Tactical Education. And it's about being tactical, intentional, and deliberate with your time, energy, and resources uh, to work towards a goal, an objective. And I always explain to our guys that the opposite of that is randomness people who just get up every day and they just live a random life. Random living gets random results. So how do I make choices and decisions that are intentional, tactical, deliberate, uh, that work towards a purpose? Chaplaincy, if it's rightly understood, it's a ministry of presence. It's, it's not heavy-handed. Pastor Bobby just wants to be there for these football players now, when they are young. 
That way in the future, they can reflect on Bobby's teachings and the time they spent together. Bobby hopes they will then reach out to him. Seven and eight years later, after a kid has moved on, get a phone call and say, hey, Pastor B, I was just thinking about you, and I, I wish I'd paid more attention to what you were saying back then, because you were right. And guys wanting me to know that what I said made a difference. Pastor Bobby made that same phone call to the coworker who made a difference in his life and introduced him to Christianity. The man didn't remember Bobby, but thanked him for the call. I think it made for a more profound story, a more telling story of how we all can be agents of influence in ways that we never imagined just by embracing the reality that we are the presence of Christ wherever we are, uh, wherever our feet are, that uh, faith is present can make a difference. Tony Bradford and Tyler Shuck praise Pastor Bobby for the difference he's made on the team. But the Texas Tech football players have inspirational tales of their own. I'm Cleon Wall, and this is BYU Radio's Big Stories. Change. It's tough. Many times it's unwanted. It can also lead to growth. Red Raider football players Tyler Shuck and Tony Bradford know all about change and the good that can come from it. He's taken a lot of hits in this first quarter. Yes, he has. Shuck's time in Lubbock has been painful. The QB transfer from Oregon broke his collarbone in the fourth game of his first season as a Red Raider. Then he missed six more games in 2022, after injuring his left shoulder. Then in 2023, the Arizona native broke his left fibula in a loss to West Virginia. On Instagram, he thanked people for their messages and prayers and said his story doesn't end with this injury. He then quoted a scripture, John chapter 1, verse 5. The guiding principles I live by are family um, and faith. I think those are the main ones. My mom has been my biggest influence as far as my faith. Um, she's a going on an 18-year breast cancer survivor. Kind of being around her through that process has really influenced a lot of my beliefs. Tyler found out his mom, Dana, had cancer when he was young. I was seven or eight years old. Uh, that was just kind of life, you know, some days of the week we couldn't be around her because she was radioactive. You didn't really know what you had until um, years down the line where you thought, you know, maybe she wasn't going to be there anymore. We went on a Disney Dream Cruise and it was like this sweet brand new cruise ship with a slide that goes around it. And we had all these sweet Disney meals and all that. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, my dad was a detective at the time in Mesa, and he was making some decent enough money to where we could do that. I'm like, man, this is sweet. Like, we never have done this before. And, and my mom was obviously still battling through it. And I didn't find out years later that that was like she was given months to live, and that was kind of our last vacation to spend time with her and spend time with each other. And it really hit me because I was like, man. I mean, obviously, I didn't want to know maybe, but. It really appreciated um, the fact that we did that in that time spent, but you know, she was given this experimental drug um, that's now used on breast cancer patients today every single day. Tyler's mom still influences him today. Um, you know, really she's gave me that fighter's mentality, just her attitude um, and her mindset every single day, just to keep fighting no matter what. She was showing up at every single practice of baseball, football. Um, you wouldn't even know it. So, you know, it's kind of that mentality that she's given me, you know, whatever adversity hits me, I'm always gonna carry it with me on my shoulder. And especially when people are, you know, having negative things to say or um, whatever outcome may, it may be, I'm always going to keep going. My relationship with Tyler Shook is, that, that's my dog. Red Raider defensive lineman Tony Bradford definitely has Tyler's back, even though they grew up in two totally different areas of the country with different backgrounds. We have cookouts and 
we just we just do a lot of things together. You typically don't see defensive linemen hanging out with quarterbacks, but nah, it's, it's different here. Uh, he's my brother. Who wouldn't want a guy like Tony on your team? He's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. There were just people that always used to tell me how I was too small to uh, make it uh, to the to the Power Five level, and. Man, when you go your a lot of years of just hearing that, you just want to prove people wrong. Like it's like, are you serious? Like I can't. How are you? Who are you to tell me that I can't play at this level? Swarmed and brought down. Tony Bradford, the first man to jump on his back. Tony has grown a lot since he's been at Tech. I'm six one, three hundred. I look good for three hundred. <laughs> As you can tell, he likes to joke and tease, and he gets teased back. You see him walking around. He looks like Paul Blart all the time. He, he's got his mall cop duty. Tony dresses up like a cop because he's a security guard with the Texas Tech Police Department. My future goal in that, uh, in that field is to be a chief of police or a, direct, a director of a department. My relationship with law enforcement is, is interesting. Um, when I came to Tech, I understood that that was the career that I wanted to do. And I haven't had a change of heart or a change of mind since then. And so um, the last coaching staff that was here, they connected me with our chief of police of Texas Tech, a police department. And pretty much that's how it all started. He's the reason why I still have my current job and internship with that department right now. I currently have to get ready for work in a few minutes or so. <laughs> Tony loves helping his neighbors. Community service is important to me. I believe in building relationships with people that support me. The least we can do is go into their home areas and pick up trash, spend times with their kids in elementary schools or so. That's just the least that we can do just to show our appreciation. I love everybody in this community, whether I know you personally or not. If you support us, I love you because <laughs> we need it. He's been around in Lubbock. We call him the mayor uh, just because of what he's done in the community here. Tony's attitude toward law enforcement and the community could have completely changed after May 25th, 2020. That's the date George Floyd died in Minneapolis police custody. Floyd cried he couldn't breathe when an officer kneeled on his neck. Protests erupted after video surfaced of the arrest. Tony was still in his security guard uniform when he saw the video. So, of course, I got friends, former teammates, current teammates, family members, you know, sending it to me, asking me my thoughts and opinions on it. What would I have done if I was in that situation, if I was in that situation, if I thought it was right or wrong? Everyone wanted to know if Tony was going to stick with his career choice. I'm like, yes, this is why I want to get into it. This is why I want to get into those leadership roles to, and to encourage more training, to encourage more, more officers to, to do proper techniques and better techniques on stuff. Law enforcement is a, it's a tough career because your mistakes can not only cost somebody's life, but it can cost you yours. It can cost you your life and your career, and you can never bring back a life. Um, but I think the best way to just go about it is just creating a change so we get more people of color in that department that's interested in doing it the right way. You don't even have to be of color. You just want to, you just need to have a, a heart and a compassion to just want to do the job properly, to make sure that you eliminate those bad apples out of that department. Um, I pray that I do it the proper way. You know, just never know what situation you may put in because you just never know what you're going to, what you're going to get into in that, in that field. And so I just pray that God continues to bless me and continues to guide me on the right path to where I am able to get to that leadership role in the police department and take over. And nothing like that happens to the department where I'm at or the, 
other departments surrounding agencies that are around. I want to be the change. Um, that's just simply me just changing what's been going on. I have to take it full advantage of it and just make sure that, that I'm doing my part in this world before my time is up to make a little bit of a difference. Thanks for listening to BYU Radio's Big Stories. It's produced and written by me, Cleon Wall. Music and post-production by Kevin West. A big thanks to ESPN and Fox Sports for the highlights. Make sure you watch BYU TV's Big Stories by logging on to BYUSN.com. Big Stories is a production of BYU Radio. BYU Radio.